This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer it's Dean. welcome to like the beacons an unexpected Lotro podcast focusing on the festive MMORPG Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of Jorarar Tokian this is episode number 23 our very first LTB Christmas special and I am your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain gatherer of cool company and Dwarf of Ill Repute. So, I have not done much prep for this week's episode. There was doubt about whether or not there would even be an episode this week. I have business away to the south, and I am already late through bothering with you people, as some of you may recognize from the Rankin-Bass classic. Yes, I'm a victim of the season, but rather than indulging my dwarven apathy, I'm choosing to forgo it and try to spread some Christmas cheer at a time when there may not be as much news as usual. So, however briefly, let the beacons be lit with green and red flames. Onward! Second beacon, Islanok. First, it's time for CRAP. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So, there was one thing that came to mind specifically that was a miscommunication from last week's podcast. Uh, the Karndoom Heideki episode. Some of you may remember that I was talking about the possibility of upgrading a bridle, something that I had never thought of doing before, a legendary bridle for mounted combat. Uh, when I realized that some of the Third Age bridles I was picking up that were level 100 in Central Gondor uh, had Fury ratings that were, I think, 14 to 16,000 and upwards, whereas my Third Age bridle had a Fury rating of about 4,000. So it was at least a threefold increase in fury. And when I had a down moment, I took my uh, gilded western uh, tailor and created a second age 100 bridle uh, as an experiment to see how it would turn out. And the legacies and so forth turned out just fine. Of course, it took an emerald shard, it took a symbol, of which I have plenty of those. Second age 100s are fairly easy to come by, but the shards a little bit less, and obviously all the materials and so forth. And uh, uh, one of my relic removal scrolls, of which I only had one left, so that's kind of a, um, a poor use for that. And of course I need a scroll of delving to increase the levels and so forth. So all, all the extra stuff that comes with recreating a legendary item. And uh, when I took a look at it, the fury rating was significantly higher. Uh, but while I was doing some research on the legacies available on the bridles uh, on the interwebs, um, I came across an article that was written back when Second Age 95s were the best bridles out there, where they were talking about the fury increase, and apparently a few people fell into the same trap I did. And what it comes down to is this. Although the fury 
rate does increase from 4,000 to upwards of 14 to 16,000, depending on how, um, uh, depending on the item. Um, Fury, as as a component of your damage output, caps at 7.5 percent, up from uh, what I had when I had a second age, probably 85 bridle, which was 6.8 percent. So. Behold the fury of my 0.07% damage increase! Yes! Tremor before me! Flee before my unmitigated fury of my puny DPS increase that only applies intermittently when I back back up and really get ahead of steam on. <laughs> so I can understand why people might be a little furious regarding uh, the minimal increase in moving upwards in bridal levels. So um, I would say it's you know it sounds like it should be a defect to me, but it hasn't changed since uh, through level 95 through to level 100. There's still a cap on fury at 7.5 percent. So I'm not going to say that uh, the bridal upgrade did nothing for me, but uh, from what I've seen, it certainly is not the uh, the increase I expected. And given the minimal returns, I probably would not have bothered. Uh, going through the exercise so we'll see if something changes in the future that makes it worth it but just a warning to everybody out there who may be considering a bridal upgrade I would do your research first and if nothing changes I would probably avoid it so let's move on to viewer comments no comments on the last episode it must have offended someone probably an elf or maybe my Bjorning got back episode struck some people dumb or struck some people as dumb mm -hmm. Quick aside, um, key to Karn Doom, Karn Doom hide a key episode. What are the three keys available in the game? Name them quick, quick, come on, hurry up. Grima, of course you don't know it. First is the key to Karn Doom, that one's easy, we just talked about it. Second being the skull key to get to Sambrog, uh, which is completed by finishing the other two wings. And the last one, you guys know it, come on, Moria. Disgusting piles of refuse and carnage. Scumfill. The Stinking Ward. I don't know why it's called the Stinking Ward instead of the Scumfill Key or the Scum Key. Uh, but that's what it's called. That's the third key that I'm aware of in the game that you can get into your inventory. If I'm missing one, let me know. I think there should have been some others, though. They have the mechanic to provide you with keys. There are doorways in the game that are replicated, like the In League Room at the Burden Baby Inn. Uh, the Matham House, the Iron Garrison Room at Thorns Hall by the Waterfall, the Bree, uh, Bree Hunting Lodge, and even the Elven Superior Forges in Rivendell. Why couldn't those have gotten keys once you complete the rep? Uh, maybe go to a door warden who would hand you the key after you had a high enough rep. So, And whatever happened to some of those rep-gated special rooms? Um, they kind of disappeared after Rivendell. Upper levels, they didn't have any... If you guys can think of keyed or prevented uh, entry rooms based on rep gating or other mechanisms, call in and let me know. Love to hear about it. So, what are we going to do in this week's episode? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game the past two weeks. We're going to reuse some old holiday-oriented filler material. Again, I'm big on filler material. I'm big on reuse. Um, I'm not big on preparation, I'm not big on creativity, I'm not big on sound editing, I'm not big on uh, expenses of any kind, and I'm not big in general because I'm a dwarf. Uh, so we're going to reuse some old holiday-oriented filler material, 
caveat, it's never before been aired on LTV. We're going to discuss my review of The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, so if you don't want to get spoilers on that, you might want to tune out that segment. And lastly, we'll offend somebody somewhere, probably one of Santa's elves. Time to move on to our third beacon. Here we are at Nardal, this week in Lotro, another Tokyo news, and other gaming news, because I do have some other gaming news. Over the last two weeks, our two other games that I played recently, um, that were both acquired via Steam sales. Uh, the one is kind of a smaller game, it was called Labyrinthian Dreams, it was only, I think, either 99 cents or $1.99 on sale, and the description looked intriguing, so I checked it out. Um, it is, uh, you know, appropriate for the price. Only takes maybe an hour or two of gameplay to get through. It's a series of um, puzzles that you need to solve, and in between puzzles, there's a narrative that goes along with it. Um, the puzzles themselves are okay. Um, they're not that engaging. They're not that difficult. But I think that's not really the point of the game. The point of the game, believe it or not, is what the puzzles represent, which is uh, the psyche of the main character as she. Um, goes through an existential crisis, I'll call it. And so the cutscenes in between the puzzles, my wife was across the table from me, yes, dwarfs have wives. Um, when she moved her beard out of the way, she stated that, uh, you know, that the subject matter of the game was quite weighty, um, and it was, because uh, the character was somewhat suicidal. Great great for the Christmas episode, mentioning this stuff. Um, but the, the puzzles kind of represented her breaking out of uh, some of the prisons uh, that her mind had been put in through uh, a series of events that had occurred to her. So from that perspective, it was interesting. And in, as for a third-party small indie game, you know, for a buck, two bucks, I got a little bit of entertainment out of it. And saw something different that I hadn't seen before. Uh, but I can't give it more than mediocre reviews based on the ease of the puzzle and the brevity of uh, some of the challenges. But, uh, you know, for a buck, we're checking out. Next, um, finishing up my saga with the recent Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider title that came out, I guess it's almost two years ago now. So I uh, did a review of the game previously in one of my podcasts and uh, talked about some of the reasons I was excited about it, what I really liked about it. And just this past week, I finished the main story narrative of it. And I have to say... Um, I have a good number of more modern titles that are waiting for me at this point, uh, but this is one of the best ones that I've played. It was really engaging for me. I thought the story and the voice acting were excellent. It's a mix of kind of first-person shooter with a number of different kind of uh, locales and scenarios, as well as um, a mix of kind of you know some of the action cutscenes where you're kind of propelled through the scene. You know when you have to react to certain things that happen with with uh, quick buttons and so forth and uh, you know can be quite exciting as a matter of fact uh, some of the younger members of my household uh, would like uh, enjoy watching just over my shoulder some of the action sequences uh, you know very much like you would see in a blockbuster movie and that engaging but you know more interactive obviously um, there is a fair amount of gore and uh, hardcore bloody kill scenes in the in the game so I wouldn't recommend it for younger viewers but uh, I found the gameplay excellent, uh, and again, a great story. So very much enjoyed that. Looking forward to if they do some sort of sequel that's similar. Um, Lara Croft in this edition is a very, very engaging heroine and worthy of, uh, worthy of the title. 
and I would say that there's a chance I'll probably go back and try to explore the island a little bit more. So after you finish the main narrative, you still have a chance to go back. I'm sure there's quite a few side tombs that I haven't uh, penetrated yet or discovered. So I'll probably take a look at a few of those. I'm not sure if I'll be engaged with the game as much now that the main narrative is over, but I'll give it a try and see uh, see if I can find some of the other caves so I can do some of the tombs. And uh, so I might mess with it a little bit more, but I think after that it's probably time to move in to another major title. Let's see what's under the Christmas tree. Um, so, moving on to Lotro. What have I been doing? Well, Winter Carnival. Winter Carnival is out. And Winter Carnival is an old event, but it's still next to the Halloween anniversary, probably the best one in Lotro. Um, I've uh, gotten all the major titles out of the Winter Carnival with my main brag. So what I generally do at this point in time, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second. The first thing I wanted to say is that I did notice, for me at least, on Vilia, the Winter Carnival has been quite busy. Um, there's been multiple layers every time I've gone there, and uh, in the layer that I'm in, it's filled with quite a few characters uh, running about. So. I probably think it's the busiest I've seen it in a couple years, so I don't know if that's a reflection of new players in the game that haven't seen it before, or uh, possibly the fact that there are some decent rewards this year for the first time in a while, some new stuff uh, that people are interested in earning and that's producing the traffic. Uh, so the new rewards, um, a blanket horse, but one that's a little a, a cut above and really pretty actually, I've already acquired that, so I'm excited about that. I think, uh, you know, and also a few robes that I thought were very well done. Uh, so some exciting cosmetics for some of that crowd. And thirdly, the chance to earn Grim pets in the game. Shadow Grim, Fire Grim, or Ice Grim. And if you like pets, uh, you'll probably want to get one of these. I think they're kind of cool compared to a lot of the other pets you can get right now. Um, if you don't like pets, then it's not going to matter to you anyway. So, so I think the new rewards are driving some traffic, and I think some new people to the game that haven't seen it before are driving some traffic, and that's good. Uh, it's fun to see the festival area busy. Uh, my routine with the Winter Carnival at this point mainly rests with cycling through my tunes. I park them just outside the gate. I grab one of two quests. Usually I alternate so I don't get too bored. The two quickest quests to complete in my estimation. Uh, one is the keg keg emergency, where you run down, you grab uh, you grab the you talk to the guy, you grab the keg off the shelf, watch out for the watchers, jump over the wall and dump the keg off, and come back. And the other one is waking of the snow beast and providing some cheer. You can get that quest right at the main entrance and run out to the snow beast, past the past the uh, mushroom tent, um, spread cheer three times and head back. And I have a note about this quest because I see a lot of people doing the same thing I'm doing. Running straight out to the Snow Beast, turning that one in, and getting their sack of presents for finishing a quest for the day. And um, what not everyone seems to know is that you don't necessarily have to wake up all three Snow Beasts in order to complete the quest. If you go to the first Snow Beast you find that's sleeping and click on him three times really quick with the emoticon that's next to the quest, you can get all three cheers in on the same snow beast and then not have to search out the other ones. So A, it's quicker for you. B, it doesn't get all the snow beasts in motion at the same time so that the people following you have to sit there and wait for them to lie back down on the ground. So there's my Bragg's tip of the week. Cheer the same snow beast three times in quick succession. Head back and leave the others for the other people that are following you. Um, so I've been cycling through my tunes and finishing one of those two quests which enables me to get the sack of presents on each tune as well as uh, you know quest XP for 
for those two quests for those of my tunes that are not yet level 100. And the rewards have been not great, but okay. I got actually, I think, lucky in the first day or two. I had two tombs that came out of the sacks, um, which are great. You can usually sell those for in between 75 and 125 gold on my server, depending on what tomb it is. And uh, of course, I've gotten some marks, I've gotten some medallions, I've gotten some festival tokens out of it, and occasionally a cosmetic. So nothing too exciting outside of the tombs. And actually, for the last week, it's really been just marks, medallions, and festival tokens. So not too much. I did get a pair of the Snow Beast um, shoes out of the first week as well, uh, but I'd had those already uh, on my main and put those in the vault. So uh, didn't need those. But uh, cycling through, you know, if they, if you get a chance for a tomb or something else that's even a little more fun, um, probably worth it to do. In the in the meantime, your lower level tunes are getting some XP. I've already had three tunes that uh, they're probably a little too much, but I'll take it. <laughs> I've had at least three tunes that have leveled just doing um, two daily winter festival quests since it started. Um, and I'll probably get at least one or two more that'll get a level in by the time the... Uh, Festival is done. I understand it's going to run into January. So, a lot of daily sec presents coming our way. All right, what else have I been doing in game? Well, Bragg has completed Kindred Rep with the men of Dor Erniel in Central Gondor. That's the second of the reputation factions you need to complete in order to get the Vanguard of Central Gondor title and the first H100 symbol that comes with it. Uh, the capstone for this area it was not quite as intricate and as the one for Ringlow Vale, um, and it was a bit more quickly finished. Uh, so basically it was one episode to go up to talk to the River Maidens. I won't spoil what happens there, but it's faster than the Ringlow Vale one where you had to go back into uh, Western Gondor and uh, look up a bunch of items and so forth. So now my focus shifts to the Kindred faction in Labinen, um for which, in terms of dailies, there are three quests in Erthir, which is uh, on the southern part of the map, uh, up a tall tower. And then um, I was just kind of uh, cruising around the map looking for maybe some treasure caches and making sure I hadn't missed any other quests. When I went into the far eastern town of Eryanos, E-R-Y-N-O-S, and found another quest waiting for me there. So I know that Lotro has this mechanic with the latest release where as you gain kindred levels, additional quests appear that you can finish. Um, and I think that works, you know, it, just as you're getting tired of one that you've been repeating over and over, you get something different to do, which is good. But at the same time, when they've spread them out over a bunch of different locations, <laughs> um, like they did in Eastern Gondor, and there's no indication of where they appear, uh, you know, I can I could have easily have missed this quest and never seen it if I hadn't wandered back to that town and seen if there was something in there. As a matter of fact, it makes me wonder if there are other quests in some of the other towns that I'm missing as well. I believe I have them all at this point, but I can't be 100% certain. So I think you know, having them randomly pop up in a bunch of different towns is not necessarily good. And I would say these four dailies, none of them are amazingly efficient. Um, the Polar Gear ones, you have to run through the whole town and do a bunch of stuff around the dock that's not easy to get to. Uh, the other one, you have to row out to the island that's just south of Erthir. And this fourth one that I found in Eranos, you have to visit the River Maidens in three different locations on the map. So basically you're running across the whole map and then all the way back to Eranos. So they're not really efficient, um, which is uh, 
you know, not as efficient as the ones in Dolomroth, which were easy to get to. So I think that's a negative, but I'm about halfway through the last bar for Kindred in that area, and I think by the time I get it done, my Pelargir wrap should be pretty close to complete as well. Uh, mostly Pelargir rep I'm getting from doing tasks, um, as well as uh, epic battles when I can get to them. Um, not really daily, but trying to get to them at least every other day. Uh, you get Pilar gear rep from both of those and maybe an occasional warband. So I do think the rep from quests in Central Gondor was lacking in that we have to do this much of a grind. It should have been a little farther up. Uh, that questing got you before you had to go over to the daily system. But uh, I'm getting there. I would imagine by uh, the end of the holiday break I'll have that done and be looking at leveling another tune or maybe going back and working to more on the Bjorning. So Onbrag have run the two-man and six-man Pilar Gear epic battles after the latest uh, changes in update 15.1. Uh, my first reaction is that the timings are still off on these. I was really hoping that would be something they'd fix. It's a little better than it was, but uh, you're still running into scenarios where an elite will appear at the same time as you're doing another quest, and you almost have to choose between the two. Um, you know, you want to finish off the quest you're working on and get a platinum, then you have to delay DPS on the elite until you're done. You know, you can kind of do it if you taunt him over and hit him with AoEs at the same time, but it's not the same as focusing on him. And so you can't get a platinum on that elite when they come out at the same time. Uh, at least if you're solo. Even with a duo, it's a little tough when they both come out at the same time to get platinums on both. So I don't think that's intentional. Um, if it is, it's maybe a poor choice. Um, so no Platinums for the overall yet, either on the two-man or six-man version. Hopefully it's possible now, where it really wasn't before gold was the best you could do. I'd say the six-man was a little more fun um, to do than the two-man or, or solo without too much more hassle. Uh, puts a little more complexity in it. Again, at the end of the at the end of the epic battle, there's still an issue where, you know, the voiceover comes over that Sildur's heir is here, and and the whites are fighting, and then you just sit around still killing guys, and it's it doesn't really end at the same time, and you're like, how much longer is this going to go on? And eventually, you just get ported out. So I think that's something they still need to tweak a little bit. Um, when you're doing a six man, I did notice that at least the group I was in wanted to get a captain in there for his oathbreakers to help on some of the elites that come out because uh, with the six man you have to burn them down pretty quickly in order to beat the timer and I would also think that dragging them to some of the barricades that have uh, damage upgrades might also help um, you can do that on some of them some of them uh, are not as easy to relocate because they have range skills and they kind of stick to their guns so aside from that my Bjorning I've been doing some questing in a region uh, in order to make my way down to a Shadunan. And he has completed the Moria Prologue at this point and is uh, in Durin's Threshold. So I did some of the quests around Regian as I was leveling up my first item uh, before it would let me to let me do the instance that lets you into Moria. I uh, still think it's a great one of the better prologues in the game, uh, you know, building up the anticipation of getting into Moria, linking the legendary item system to uh, that was premiered at that point with uh, with your entrance in, kind of building your suspense and uh, 
you know, some great cinematics involved in, in that instance, the way they swing the camera around and build the drama around the Watcher and the gate. You know, good villains make for a good story, so Watcher is one of the better villains in The Lord of the Rings. So um, I did enjoy doing that again, and I'm excited to get my Bjorning into the, the Dolvin view soon, and hopefully doing some more instances over the next few weeks uh, with an on-level or nearly on-level tune. That'll be exciting. I did get my final skill, Nature's Mend, on the Bjorning. So the only advancement I'll have at this point on is class points, which may produce some, some capstone skills as, uh, as I rank up the trees. And maybe one racial trait I think that's left for killing drakes that uh, I wasn't that excited about when I first saw it. It looked kind of lame, so I'm not sure that one's that important. Um, haven't done much with my Cappy recently. I, I still think he's not as quite as fun to play since the, the class revamps with Helm's Deep. Uh, not quite as well-rounded and hasn't been as much call for captains that I've seen. Uh, my Minstrel is the next one I'm working on uh, leveling up some gear for. And lore master, hunter, burglar, arcade, warden, champ, blah, blah, blah. Uh, maybe three or four levels scattered amongst them from the Winter Festival and from doing little things here and there. So that's it for what I've been doing this week in Lotro. We'll see how much time I have to play over the holidays. But for now, let's move on to Aralas. For Aralas this week, I am going to read an original creation that premiered on an episode of Lotro Players News. Uh, gosh, it seems like maybe a couple months ago now when they had uh, first had me on as guest host in order to talk about uh, my new podcast. Seems ages ago. And uh, at that time, they were going through origin stories for all their characters. Um, I felt uh, since I had the platform that it would be nice if I created something of an origin story for that episode and I chose a uh, to use the stylings of Clement C. Moore um, the night before Christmas his uh, great poetic work to be the basis for my Ode to Pineleaf and since it had a Christmas theme and it had never been aired on LTV I thought I'd read it for you here now. Uh, Grima put on the elf hat and ears like I told you to it's a Christmas episode you're not getting any presents unless you... There we go. Good boy. Okay, gather up around the fire. Let Santa brag read you a story. Twas the night before the podcast when all through the server not a fellow was stirring, at least not with much fervor. The world channel lay dormant without the usual crap, and even the Moors creeps seemed to be taking a nap. The raiders were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of First Agers danced in their heads, and I with my archer named Legolas had just settled down to do the icy crevasse. When out on Twitch there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my kinhouse to see what was the matter. Away to the chat window I flew like a flash, and nearly got killed by mobs that were trash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to the lieutenants below. When what to my wondering eye should appear but a miniature warden and his sharp pointy spear. With a little old hobbit so lively and fine, I knew in a moment he had needles of pine, more abundant than allies of his alts I had heard, and on so many servers it was almost absurd. On Landreville, Brandywine, and Gladden was he, Arkenstone Elder, you get the idea. 
With so many tunes, it was almost a mania. I'd heard he built his own server and called it Wardania. A podcast host was he of no little skill, who was forced to read poetry each week against his will, and reign in the antics of co-hosts galore to keep things on track and also keep score. A sound mind he had of metrics and data, and he'd been playing Lotros almost since beta. He knew everything you could know about the game, and if he was ever wrong, it was you who felt shame. The stump of a pipe yelled tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and round little cheeks, and a rather high-pitched laugh that was somewhat unique. <laughs> he was hairy and short, a right jolly old took, though a filth-heppered shepherd had covered him with gobbledygook. He lifted a hope token high over his head, which gave me to knew to know I had nothing to dread. He said, Very well, and went straight to his work, tanked all the encounters, then turned with a jerk, counted his marks, which took quite a while. It seems all his skirmishing had made him quite a pile. He sprang to his war steed and ran into the wall, backed up, moved sideways, and bid farewell to all. But I heard him exclaim, and he said it quite constantly. I hope you remember to skirmish responsibly. Onward to our fifth beacon, Minramon. Now a word from our sponsors. Wait, hold it. Hold everything. It's Christmas. No crash commercialism. For once. You viewers out there. Come on, give me a break. It's the holidays. You, you, you know. Moving on. Galenhad. A review of The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, was somewhat inevitable, was it not? So, I did get out to the movie theaters this past Friday, only a few days after the opening, and I probably would have been there the day it opened if I hadn't been on the road doing some travel around Middle-earth. So... First, let's talk about some high, pen, high points from the movies. Spoiler alert. Smog's death. Just a little bit rushed. Smog's death and his attack on Lake Town was an exciting moment for me. Some great visuals in there. Some great dialogue between Bard and Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, but once Smog was killed, I felt that they moved on rather quickly. I would have liked to have seen him in his death throes just on his back, crashing with the town, you know, kicking over towers, flames all around him erupting as he slowly sank into the water. That shot was missing in my estimation. Maybe they ran out of budget. So then they were eager to get on with the rest of the story. I get it. Still, I thought that was a moment that could have been uh, exciting to see that was lost. Um, I guess one of the tricks with these monsters, when, they, when you're showing a big monster, don't show too much. Leave the audience wanting more. Well, I wanted more. Now, I know this next part is um, a bit of a controversial one for some people who don't think that the drama down in Dol Guldur in Mirkwood uh, of the White Council excommunicating the necromancer from his tower uh, should have been a part of the Hobbit movie. I know there's a lot of people that think that uh, they'll acknowledge, yes, it was happening in the lore, but it wasn't in the story at all. Why are we seeing it? It's just padding and filler so they can make three movies. 
I'm probably one of the few people that was excited to see this aspect of the story represented because um, A, yes, it was not spelled out in The Hobbit, though it was clearly alluded to. These events were going on, and we knew these characters from The Lord of the Rings from the way the movies were shot backwards. And Tolkien did indeed intend for the conquest of Erebor to have a larger impact on the overall story of The Lord of the Rings. Um, he refers quite frequently to the fact that having uh, Smaug sitting on his throne in the north, uh, you know, as a threat and as a deterrent, uh, played largely into his plans, and that there might even have been at some point, or would have been, if it had he continued there, some kind of collusion that could have occurred. Um, so, uh, you know, again. Tokim flushed out his works to an unimaginable level, and he couldn't have written about every aspect of it, but I think there's enough uh, lore professors out there will tell you that these things are factors that were true. Uh, I enjoyed Galadriel, Saruman, and El Elrond's rescue in, in Dol Guldur, um, and uh, you know, seeing Galadriel again take the shape, uh, you know, being twisted by the ring to exert her power, uh, was an exciting moment. It was fun to see Saruman kicking some butt, too. Um, so glad that Christopher Lee was with us long enough to give us this last performance and uh, do a credible job of it as well. Um, other high points. Uh, the deaths of the dwarves that leave us. We knew this was coming. I don't want to spell them all out in case you forget some of them. But those moments were well done. They were emotionally impactful. In general, I appreciated the quiet moments in the film, uh, short uh, dialogues, you know, in in between the action that were shared between Bilbo and Thorn, or uh, Dwalin and Thorn, or between Balin and Bilbo, um, you know, even between Toriel and Feely in some cases, and and some of those others. It was, uh, you know, some of the better moments, believe it or not. And then lastly, another high point, uh, Bjorn and the Eagles' um, introduction to the Battle of Five Armies was very exciting. As a matter of fact, the only part that I regret is that there wasn't more of it. Uh, he basically arrives, you see him for two or three seconds wreaking havoc, and you don't see him again. And uh, I think they needed just a little more Bjorn. Bjorn's got back. I think we needed just a bit more Bjorn. Uh, there was some potential there for him to really create some mayhem and face off maybe against some some trolls or uh, you know take out some legions and so forth uh, it was exciting to see him just wish we'd seen a little bit more and the Eagles created quite a bit of havoc in their entrance too and that was fun uh, some of the low points and of course there's low points you know depends on how low they are as your point of view so the character of Alfred the master of Lake Town's assistant is funny and I enjoyed him in parts but I thought he had a little too much to do, and that his his uh, end of his story in the movie wasn't well capped. He just kind of disappears, and you don't know what really happens to him. Um, so, not saying they had to kill him, but it would have been nice to have some closure, and maybe a few less of the comic moments. I know you have to break up the battle here and there with other things. A uh, little too much outfit, in my opinion. Uh, Thorin's dragon sickness. So this has been talked about a little bit much already. Call it dragon sickness. Call it what it is. I mean, we know he was afflicted with greed when he looked about his treasure. 
and he was bitter against the Elven King and this mistreatment by uh, the men of Lake Town, and and somewhat twisted that they came to his doors and demanded treasure in his in his estimation. So we know we know that occurred, but the dragon sickness was a little too much. The way it was represented, I thought, was a little overboard, and it took him a little too long to snap out of it. <laughs> um, you know, maybe one or two scenes shorter, him coming to his senses and being the heroic Thorn. Uh, that we know he is instead of you know this twisted and decimated king so that's part of his character but I think they swung the balance a little too far in the direction of his uh, indecision um, Legolas's moment so in every movie from Peter Jackson uh, from the first uh, they've, they've had a Legolas moment where he's done something elvish quintessentially elvish uh, and sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's a little much but uh, you know it's, it's his hallmark at this point. He's going to have his moment. Whether he's going to run up a chain onto a cave troll's head, whether he's going to take down a Muma kill all by himself, he's going to slide down a shield, uh, you know, down a flight of stairs and fling it into somebody while he's shooting arrows. Um, you know, he's going to ride on top of people's heads down a river while he's shooting two and three orcs at a time. In this movie, he had his moment too, um, where he was battling on a tower that was collapsing. And I'm somewhere in between on it. I, I thought actually the tower sequence uh, and Legolas fighting uh, the enemy at that point was a cool sequence. It might have gone a little over the edge with uh, running up the blocks that were falling as the tower collapsed. But uh, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, maybe a bit much. Uh, I ended up wanting to see more of the company in battle. So you got a lot of Thorn, Dwell, and Feely, Keely. When. Thorin finally makes his entrance out of the Lonely Mountain to rally the dwarves, um, you know, and join Dane and rally the dwarves. That's supposed to be a really heroic moment, and it was, but it was too brief. I really wanted to see all 12 of the dwarves uh, becoming heroes in that battle and making a huge impact with individual scenes of their fighting, and uh, we didn't get that. You know, there were three, four, five, six dwarves that you didn't even see really beyond the initial charge doing anything and that was a shame I thought and who knows we'll see what the extended edition brings to map into some of these other areas so those are some high points and some low points from an overall standpoint you know there's another podcast I listen to frequently that's talked about the number of binary arguments that have been out this year and, and the fact that they're bad uh, because the people that are engaged in binary arguments are never listening to each other there's no middle ground I think that applies here in some, in some, to some extent. Uh, lore purists and those who expected to resent this last exercise in what they would call Peter Jackson's enthusiastic indulgence are probably glad it's over and will call it a day. Uh, their views on the movie, you know, will not be that surprising because I think it's been almost predetermined at this point. If they didn't like the previous ones, they're not going to like this one, and not much is going to change their mind. And then there's the fanboys, and I'll. I'll probably group myself into group myself into that, throw myself into that group, who to some degree would watch a Hobbit pumpkin drying in the sun for three and a half hours of immense seeing additional glimpses of the Shire on the big screen, and would laud it as the greatest cinematic achievement since well the last five movies. But isn't the room for something in between? I mean, it doesn't have to be the books exactly to be a good story. It's just a slightly different story, uh, different theme and tone. Yes. Um, two movies would have been better than three, yes. Perhaps it will be again someday. Maybe they'll do a remake. Maybe they'll do another animated version of The Hobbit, but in two parts instead of three. 
and uh, remove some of the excesses and get back to the story. You know, anything that made this much money will never die forever. <laughs> um, is this the best Middle Earth movie? No. I think it's probably fourth or fifth of the six that are out there. But I still feel that puts it in pretty darn good company. That's okay. <laughs> I think this these movies and all three movies in general and this one in particular suffered the weight of heightened expectations after you've seen Jackson's wizardry in the Lord of the Rings movies it's easy to uh, overlook some of the achievements from a visual standpoint from a costume standpoint from an acting standpoint from a special effects standpoint that have made these movies as good as they are um, this movie is beautiful in many ways and it made me laugh, it made me sniffle more than once, and I was thoroughly entertained. My kids are asking me when we can go to see it again, every day. <laughs> and enjoying that experience together as a family is what I'll miss the most about these movies of Peter Jackson's. So I'm sure we will be going again very soon over the Christmas holidays, before they grow up and go on their own unexpected journeys. Onward to Halitherian. It's time for Blessed Holiday Relief. That brings us to the end of the 23rd episode of Light the Beacons, our first ever Christmas special. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, most of all your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for agnog. On Facebook or Twitter at Bragson of Ballon, or my website at lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create Nitrogen's review. If you are so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast, or at least respond to all you viewers. Give it, give it a break in some way. I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your winter holiday this week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balan, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, the next time you have to browbeat a bunch of homeless peasants out of winter home and deal with the moral and psychological consequences over the holiday break, don't despair. Light the beacons. Grime, it's more than you deserve, but I got you a present for Christmas. It's a lump of coal. <laughs> oh, come on, don't cry. Grime. It's a, it's Rittermark coal. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought you'd like that. Now pass me another eggnog. Make it snappy. Merry Festivus, anyone? Merry Festivus.